Yates on Sunday on News Talk. Brought to you by SSE Electricity Business Energy. Proud to power businesses all over Ireland. Energy at work for you. I think if you have not come across this lady before, you will be fascinated by her story, her backstory and her current story. I'm referring to Senator Lynn Ruan. And let's start, Lynn, and you're most welcome uh, oh. to the, to the programme. Um, you, 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 your parents, yeah. John and Bernie. Yeah. Tell me about that. OK, um... Well, what can I really say about them? My mum is originally from Finglas, from a family of 10 in a two-bedroom home in, in Finglas. So all squashed in, all 12 of them to 10 kids and two parents into a two-bedroom in Finglas. And my dad is from Usher's Quay. So he would have grew up in a tenement, um, in a tenement home on, on the Quays. Um, he, he joined the army for a while. He became He was a really good sportsman. He played League of Ireland football and became a really well-known and respected referee. And my mother worked as a machinist and then went on to work as a production manager in a, in a Japanese company that made thermostats in the Killinarden community that actually employed a lot of um, local people from Killinarden. What up was until your dad's day job? My dad was a presser. So what that is, is in the in the clothing factory. So he was the one that pressed the big machine that kind of ironed out the clothes into there. And my mum was the machinist. And um, wh- when did they meet up? When did they get married? Um, they they never married. Um, they My mum, maybe, maybe a couple of years before my brother was born. So my brother is two years older than me. So maybe... What are we talking about? 60s, late 70s, 70s? Late 70s. Yeah. Okay. And so... You're number two in the family? I'm number two, yeah. Of two? Of or? two. Okay. So, uh, you were, the, 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 your home was in Killinarden in West Town. Yeah, we lived in Ballymun first originally. We lived in the flats in Ballymun. And then my mum and dad got the opportunity at the homes when we were being built in Tala, like everyone did. Everyone a council kind of, house? Yeah, was, um, was, was being moved out to, towards Tala and stuff. So we moved in there when I was maybe going on one. My brother would have been three. So we were quite young. I wouldn't have any memories of, of living in Ballymun. Well, talk about your earliest memories. Was it a tough upbringing? Um, was it a happy home? It was a happy home, a very happy home. I was the one that probably made it an, un- <laughs> an unhappy home. Uh, but um, yeah, no, a happy home, steady home. My mum and dad worked really hard and very focused on, on education. They had very little education. They would have left school, you know, in them days they left at 12 and 13 to go off and work and stuff. So they knew the importance of education, but probably lacked, um, you know, a foundation of their own education. Now, were you kicked out of crash, preschool? When I was very young, yeah. I think I was fighting over a a bike or a tractor or something. We just went to a different preschool, though, so it was okay. (laughs) So you were a rebel from the get go? Yeah, I think. Well, I don't know whether I was a rebel. I, I didn't like being wrongly done, you know, so I probably always had a sense of injustice. So I never kind of, um, I think my behaviour always looked like I was disruptive, but it was usually only if I felt that I was being wrongly treated in a situation that I kind of rear up against it. So you went to, where did you go to primary school? I went to primary school in Sacred Heart, which was actually, I really enjoyed most of my time there. I had an absolutely amazing teacher in the first two years there called Miss Tui, and she had a lasting impact and effect on me. Positive. Really positive, yeah. Um, I had some not so positive experiences with teachers after that, but I think I kind of held 
held on to that original kind of idea of of there is really good teachers that will invest in you and um, she was one of them um, I also had a, a teacher in sixth class um, who we clashed a good bit she was a nun her name was Sister Bridget we clashed but we also really secretly had a kind of respect and, and nice relationship as well Secondary school Yeah so I went into secondary school and things kind of started to change I suppose a little bit for me in secondary school that transition um, all of a sudden you go from being in a kind of smaller setting with one teacher to everybody from all the different surrounding areas coming together. So you're kind of, your your neck kind of widens a little bit when you go to secondary school because it's just a much bigger mix of, of, of children. And I didn't do much of secondary school. Where was this? Um, Kilnarden Community School. Um, I didn't do much of secondary school. I'd say I kind of got maybe halfway through first year before I started experiencing a lot of kind of issues in terms of just experiencing uh, Killinard and, and in a very different way than I did when I was younger. So I started to kind of notice the, the impacts of maybe um, drugs and, and death and, you know, people dying very young. And so that started to have a real impact on me. I'd be someone that kind of evaluates things. You know, I, 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 I analyse everything that's going on around me so I could really take in that something wasn't right and that impacted on me. So I really didn't have much value on school throughout second year. I left on and off in through second year and third year and then when I became pregnant in third year I um, I went back and asked could I sit my junior cert in case I didn't get another opportunity because I didn't really know what lay ahead of me from there so I sent my junior cert when I was about eight months pregnant Right so so just tell me how bold you were now. I mean, like, uh, <laughs> were, 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 were you committing crimes? Were you robbing? Um, I wouldn't say bold. I would say I was um, acting out of a place of trauma and pain. You know, and I think that's something that is labelled on kids sometimes when they're experiencing difficulty and they're screaming out for help and they're doing it in a way that it, people think they're bold and disruptive, but they're not actually. Actually, their behaviours, if you go from being a child that's playing sports and doing really well in, in primary school, being a bit rebellious every now and again, but nothing to the extent of what you're doing. If you have a clear change in behaviour, it's definitely something has, has instigated and caused that. So I wouldn't say bold. So, I would so say, you experienced some trauma in terms of, of friends? Yeah, away and dying. Tell, tell me and, and, about that. Yeah, um, well, I would have witnessed a friend die when she was hit by a bus when I was 13. Um, that had quite a profound impact. She was absolutely, she will be 20 years actually dead this year, which is really hard to believe. Um, she had, that had a real impact on me. She was a really beautiful young girl. And I remember being faced with that for the very first time and just realising that our lives aren't certain. You know, and I'd never faced death before. I hadn't experienced it in my family. It was the first time. So the first time I experienced death was actually me being part of part of that and watching that and witnessing that. So that had a real impact on me. And you said there that you weren't bold. No. So I, I in the brief, I, and this could be wrong. That shoplifting, mm-hmm. robbing cars. Mm-hmm. That sounds pretty bold to me. No, <laughs> I wouldn't say bold. I'd say criminal, possibly under okay, well, <laughs> under the law the system. You, what's the worst thing you ever did? Um, oh God! Um, I don't know what the worst thing I ever did was. I mean, I was I was robbing, and I, and I was probably involved in. Um, I would be in robbed cars and stuff. So that it was that was probably the extent of of a went was was shoplifting and and, and robbed cars. Um, it was very short lived. Nothing never really it did never really set right with me. Um, I used did you to, get in with a bad crowd or what? No, I wouldn't say they were a bad crowd. I'd say we were all products of our circumstances and surroundings. So, um, you know. When you grow up in a in an area of of deprivation and and you know your your life expectancy your life chances did you your aspirations. encounter the the cops? 
I did many a times. I, I, I spent nights in cells as a 14 year old. And um, again, it was never comfortable. I never fitted really into it. It never set right with me. I used to constantly close my eyes and see my dad's face, you know, so it's like he was my conscience and I was like, you shouldn't be doing this, you know, so that probably is why it was so short And what was your parents' reaction to all this they were misbehaviour? They were heartbroken. They didn't know what to do. Um, they'd never experienced it before. My dad had his first drink when he was 42. Um, you know, and he only ever drank on occasions. I was drinking, I was doing drugs. They had never experienced that. They didn't know what it was. They didn't know how to deal with it. Um, so all they did was continue so, to love me and support me, okay. I suppose. Uh, we will go on to the rest of the trip, but I just want, I want to probe this a bit. Drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just, are we talking about uh, sniff and glue? Are we talking about uh, cocaine, uh, ecstasy, um, her- heroin, what drugs? Are cocaine, do- ecstasy, speed was quite um, big at the time. It's not really around anymore. So, but amphetamines, it was really amphetamines and, and ecstasy. Um, and how did you get money for those then? Was the shoplifting, I suppose. Yeah. Shoplifting and, and paying for it through that. Okay. And, and, because we're going to talk about all the good stuff, but any remorse? I don't have, I try not have regrets. I probably went through a stage where, if anything, I felt really sorry for the young person I was. You know, I felt sorry for myself in the sense that I shouldn't have had to experience that and I shouldn't have had to go through that. But then I have to also respect the person I was then as well because it was that person who got me here. So I try not to be too hard on myself because at some stage I made decisions based on circumstances and I also managed to make decisions that pulled me away from it even when I wasn't ready to let go of it. I was still very much enjoying drug use. I wanted to use drugs and I wanted to use heroin at the time. I mean, I watched, I was so in pain, I was so haunting and I would watch somebody use heroin and I would watch them slip away momentarily and when I watched that, I was so in pain that I that I that I craved it. You know? It was escapism. It was escapism completely, a, a very negative form of escapism. Obviously, there's other ways to escape. So I never want to kind of paint a picture that that's how you escape because you know that's problem drug use. There's drug, there's all different types of drug use, and where I was moving towards was a very uh, problematic use of drugs. And 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 I want to go now next to the to the junior sir. But before I go that, um, um. You know, there was always poverty mm-hmm. in, in, you know, ever since humanity, the, 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 the 40s, the 50s and so on. And a lot of people say, you know, I grew up in the hardest of circumstances, but I never resorted to crime or blaming someone else. Like, and people talk about and you talk about rights. Is there any sense of responsibility in so far as there is right and wrong? And some of the things you've openly spoke about were wrong, like is is it a bit of a cop out to say, ah, oh, well, it was the pain I was feeling and so on. I mean, and, and you're just explaining it yeah. as it was. But like, do, do you now have a sense just looking back at that time that, that you were actually just not taking responsibility? No, well, I was a 12 and 13 year old child. I don't know how much responsibility a 12 or 13 year old can take. And you have to understand in areas like um, in, in, in a lot of working class areas, kids are faced with big decisions very, very early on in their life. I mean, if and you're, they're not able to cope and they're not able to cope with okay. them and they make decisions based from a place of not maturity or no understanding or uh, so. No, I don't think responsibility can be put on a child okay. so young. And they need help to be able to They go. need help okay. and they need to be able to facilitate, okay. be facilitated so to, to y- make yeah, the right this choices. bad patch. Yeah. And you then went back, you got a second opportunity to the junior, so tell yeah. us about that. 
Um, so Mr Nolan, who was really, really positive, I suppose, in my time in secondary school, he was the guidance counsellor. Um, he advocated to, for me to be able to come in and sit my junior cert. Now, I hadn't done most of third year. I was working in a pharmaceutical uh, company at the time. I think I probably lied and said I was 18, but I wasn't. I was 14 and sorry, um, pharmaceutical company. <laughs> but anyway, they, they, they thought I was older. But So I worked there for a period of time and then I found out I was pregnant and I kind of there was something in me that thought I should really have my junior cert at the very least and Mr Nolan advocate for me to come in and do my junior cert um, which I did not okay. You went back to the same Killinard yeah. school? Yeah. Okay let's talk about you found yourself pregnant. Yeah. One doesn't find oneself pregnant one no. gets pregnant. Yeah. Did you get pregnant deliberately? Um, well I wasn't taking any precautions so I definitely wasn't preventing myself getting pregnant. Did you want to get pregnant? Um, I suppose it didn't bother me at the time whether I got pregnant or not. I didn't make an active decision that, okay, I'm trying for a child, but I definitely didn't do anything to prevent it. Okay. You know, so it so was kind of... to use your own words, um, you weren't able to cope with some of the things in 12 and yeah. 13. I mean, what on earth possessed you to be a mother at that age was a good idea? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I wanted something to love. Maybe I wanted some hope. Maybe but your parents loved you. They did love me. They loved me. But the relationship was fractured during them times as well because you're at that stage where you're naturally rebelling and trying to hold some power against your parents anyway. And then with the place that I was in, probably made it a little bit worse. So they probably found it very hard to reach me in that moment. I wasn't probably allowing them love me, you know. But So you um, decided to give them another kick in the teeth by getting pregnant? Yeah, well, it turned out not to be such a kick in the teeth in the end because, um, because I had such loving parents. I knew what I should be doing as a parent. So I instantly began to try and mirror um, my mother, you know, and that's what led was me to... Was it not scary getting pregnant so young? It wasn't. Even I, physically? What I was experiencing around me and the death and the poverty and, and people dying unnecessarily, that was scary. Um, having Jordan was not scary. It, I actually felt some, some hope. I felt I stopped smoking and doing drugs instantly. The second I took that pregnancy test, everything went away. So for me... It's, for me it saved my life I definitely don't promote pregnancy to, to people to save their lives and that's what I want to be very clear on it was just my circumstances at the time began to improve um, okay. but that's not the case okay, for everyone so, I suppose. So you go back to school yeah. you have a baby at home yeah. okay how how does life progress from there? And I didn't go back to school after I, uh, after I had uh, Jordan um, so I finished at junior cert level I've no leaving cert and I received a letter in the post from Ankasan um, to go and do a young mother's education programme. Um, it was the, a pilot programme, so it had never been ran before. And I had access to childcare to be able to do so. So me and Jordan set out on our journey in Ankasan for two years um, from there. And we, so I was still rebelling a little bit in there as well because I was still trying to settle into, I suppose, this new way. And I remember going into Ankasan and thinking, are these all hippies or something? And they're doing little songs in the morning before you start class. It was all very new to me. Like, So I was like, what's, what's going on here? So one part of me was being drawn towards it because there was something very healing and I felt myself soften a little tiny bit and not feel as hardened. But then there was another part of me going, there's nothing wrong with me anyway, so why do I need to be here? So there was that battle, you know, but they allowed me go through that battle in a very uh, in a very safe environment. I have to ask you to elaborate about Ancasson yeah. so far as Anne-Louise Gilligan uh, and Catherine Zappone set it up. Yeah. It, it It is a great story and it gave you a great opportunity and of course sadly Anne-Louise passed away and was buried yesterday. Tributes in today's paper. Just tell me about Anne-Louise Gilligan and Catherine Zappone. Yeah, well, I, um, them two 
two women mean the absolute world to me because I watched what they created. I didn't realise that as a 15, 16, 17 year old. I didn't, you know, I didn't really connect with what they were doing. Ankasan was just a building to me that I went to that I enjoyed and it was safe. It was only when I got older and I really began to realise that the impact that education has on transforming people's lives and especially women. You know, I really do believe that ending poverty starts with women and mothers and they really embodied all of that. So I suppose when I began to mature and, and get a little bit older and feel the benefits of what Ankasan had given me and the education, the, the closer I felt to both Louise and Catherine. So I came back to them later on when I knew what, when I could recognise what it was they were after giving me. So I reached out to them a number of years ago to kind of let them know where I was now and, and how I was doing. So so you, you did a course in addiction therapy to no, become a counsellor? No, I went on to do addiction studies in IT Tala. I, what i done there was, it was like VTech stuff. It was computers and personal development and public speaking and that kind of stuff. So what did you learn about addiction? Did, did well, my learning from addiction, about addiction was really an instinct. Um, it was a lived experience that led, it was the lived experiences of growing up that led me to have an interest in addiction. And I read a lot in Tala Library around addiction and I began to realise that I was actually very, very good at taking in large amounts of information on addiction. And I began to realise that I'm actually really good at academic stuff when it's related to stuff that I really care about. So I began to focus my time on that. So how did you end up in the snobbiest, toffiest place of (laughs) Trinity? I was rebelling against my socialist friends. (laughs) No, I went to Trinity because I I read... And you had a second baby before you went to Trinity? I had a second baby, Jaylin, um, who will be a political force. I think you should watch her. She's only 10 now and I swear to God she could sit here. I think you're going to be a bit of a political force. uh, She, um, she, yeah, so I went back. I went, I wanted to study philosophy. Um, because I, but why Trinity? I mean, but because I, when I when I done my research on the different if the own the philosophy school in Trinity is the only dedicated philosophy school in the country, and it's the biggest and it's it's so I knew that I wanted to do philosophy there. I didn't know too much about philosophy. I'd be reading little bits, but I'm very curious. I I, I evaluate everything. I knew that I would enjoy exploring philosophy. You know, so how, how how did you apply? I went. I applied actually for sociology and philosophy, and was refused because I hadn't got leave insert maths. So I applied to the Trinity Access Program. I didn't know about it. Someone told me about it last second, and the closing time was five o'clock that day, and I only knew that morning. And I printed off the application form. I was uh, running drug services in Bluebell at the time. And I'd done something that I shouldn't have done. So I was like, how am I going to get into town? I didn't have any car at the time. And one of the... the Don't the, tell me you robbed a car. No, I didn't. <laughs> one of the clients actually said, come on, Lynn, you can't miss this opportunity. I'm going to drive you in. You know, so I was like, OK. So it was actually one of the clients that had become clean over a number of years that I was working with actually got me there in time with the And were you accepted? I was accepted. And I began my year and I think that's what's helped me along the way is I've ended up being with people that understand class and understand the impacts of class and what is needed in terms of people in social deprivation. So Ankasan understood it. John Bissa, who was the chairperson of the Drugs Project, understood class. And then I had tapped that understood class. So being able to wrap the the appropriate. uh, So here you are as a student, an adult student, and suddenly you become in charge of the students union. How did that happen? So that was later on. So I had done uh, two years and my top year and I became the student parents officer force. It was a new position. As a job? As it does a part time student union uh, uh, voluntarily. And I went and I'd done that for a year because nobody had ever done it before. And everything I'd ever developed was always from the scratch. I never, every drugs project, everything. So I loved being able to develop something without having 
past influences kind of on it. So I'd done that for a year and the president at the time, Donald McLachlan-Bourne, um, he just sat me down. He says, I think you need to run for president. And I was like, no, it's not for me. Like, I mean, I'm not really into student union politics. What did you make of all the middle class toughs? Um, well, I wouldn't call them middle class toughs. Um, oh, no, Trinity. No, I mean, I, I don't, God I don't, I try not categorise people in, in, in that kind of way. If anything, they got me through a lot of my education. I'm terrible you at maths. You get on well with them. I get, to, I, 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 yeah, I get on very well with them. And it was mostly middle class toffs, as you call them, Snobby that ones, have put yeah. me in the positions that I'm in. I mean, and I think that's a testament to, to, to the changing trinity that we see in terms of it is changing and it is diversifying and it is trying to, um, you know, accept and understand that there's um, they need to replicate society. You know, the Trinity needs to represent um, all that's in society. But was there any of them looking down their 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 noses? There probably was, but I never, I they, I never experienced that. I mean, and I'm too. Driven. And they voted for you. Didn't they, they voted for me twice. They voted for me to be in the Shannon, and they voted for me to be right. In. That brings me on to how did it come about? Oh, I'm sure, if I can become president of students' union, I can become a senator. I love a challenge. Um, I never thought I would go into politics. It was never something that I, I thought. I thought I would go and un- learn the language of politicians so that I could go back into the community sector and really be able to advocate for the drugs projects and the community projects that I worked in. So that was my plan, was just to learn the language. Um, but then I also seen the benefit, I suppose, of trying to you know, have that vice within politics. And a lot of people encouraged me. I definitely was a little bit a little bit afraid to go for the Shannon because I kind of thought, is this a bit above now? Like, you know, you've never been involved in politics. You've never been, you've never signed up to a political party. You've never even been to a, a you know, a local party uh, a meeting in your own area, you know, is it it's probably not. But then I thought, if I could take the activist in me and be a politician that had a very activist social agenda, you know, and didn't get too caught up in the political bubble, which can happen if you've spent years just being okay. you know, well, involved now, in politics. Now, now that you're in the Senate, like I, I, I voted for the abolition of yeah. the Senate. I, I, I think it's a, talk, a, a debating chamber. Yeah. It doesn't have real powers. I'm, I'm a cynic about it. It's yeah. a rest home for defeated politicians. It's a nursery for wannabe TDs. Well, I don't want to be a TD no, no, and I'm not a retired have, politician. How, how, how have you found the Senate? <laughs> um. I've nothing to compare it with, I suppose, because I've not been in a while. Like, I mean, this time round, obviously, the numbers are so funny that we are getting amendments across the line. So I think this time round, the Shannon is doing a little bit of what it should be doing. It should be an independent Shannon. It shouldn't be um, held to ransom by political parties. You know, I think we would probably be able to really um, legislate. And there's a piece of legislation you've pioneered. Yeah, there's a few that I will pioneer. Um, and that's what I plan to do while I'm there. And even if I don't get them across the line, you know, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, whoever's in, in in government, I'm going to write such good legislation that I will set the basis of what they will what do. What is it you want to achieve? Um, well, one of them is the decriminalisation of addiction so that we're not sending people, addicts who are caught with a small quantity of drugs into the prison system that instead we divert them towards a health-led approach and stop wasting resources in, in, in a justice system that has no rehabilitative uh, kind of process in relation to addiction. There's another piece of legislation on the day that's in a Father's Day um, Currently in Ireland, uh, women have to go to court to try and get maintenance from the fathers, but the state steps out then. So the state tells them they have to go there so they get lone parents. So then the judge says that the father has to pay 50 euro a week or whatever, but then they don't. And that woman is means tested. So in England and some other countries, the state intervenes and actually extracts from either tax or social welfare and they remove that horrible dynamic between a man and a woman kind of arguing over uh, maintenance of a child, which actually 
doesn't do any benefit to the rearing and, and relationship between them. So I want to change that so that the state plays a role in, in, in maintenance. I knew this would happen. We've run out of time. But I want to ask you about the future. Yeah. Um, you, you're in your early 30s. Yeah. You, you've got everything going for you. Uh, you're in a position, you have a platform now to change things. Where do you see yourself in 10 years' time? Do you see yourself being a TD? Do you see yourself joining left-wing party? Like, I, I, know, I know, you know, it's not your immediate plan, but you do have a big opportunity now. I do have an opportunity and I think for the first time in my life I'm in the moment. I've spent my whole life trying to plan the next year, the next two years. And for the first time in my life I'm enjoying a little bit of safety and a little bit of security and being able to comfortably focus on the issues that I care about. Um, I've lived my life by three and four year plans because I never thought I'd live that long. So I used to try and squash everything in. And now I'm actually very much present. So I don't really know for the first time in my life what's 10 years away. Um, you know, But if, if a political party, any political party knocked on your door and said, would you join and would you stand for no, us? I, I would don't, you say no? I, I'd say no. I've not. I find I have a real good ability at being able to work cross party and I don't want to lose that. And I have, like, I have a bill in the house co-signed with Fina Gale. I have a bill in the house co-signed with Sinn Féin, you know, and I want to be able to maintain that because there is, just because I'm of the left doesn't mean that I don't think that um, centre and right parties will bring in bills that I don't necessarily agree with. And I don't want to lock myself out. So you want to work work. the system? I want to work cross party, yeah. So... To get the accurate picture, would you describe yourself not as a politician, but a social advocate? I would say social advocate. I would say social. Obviously, I'm a poli- I can't deny that I'm a politician. I'm in there and I'm a senator. But a lot of my work is very focused externally, outside. And that's why the civil engagement group, the other senators that I'm set up, we all come from social justice kind of um, roles previously and we continue to maintain that. Final question. 30-something-year-old Lynn Ruan what would you advise a 13-year-old, Lynn? Um, to do everything as you've done it. Because why would I? Look where I am. Why would I do anything differently? <laughs> Great. Thank you very much for being my profile guest today. Senator Lynn Ruan, look forward to talking to you again. Congratulations on all you've achieved and we wish you every success. Yates on Sunday on News Talk. Brought to you by SSE Airtricity Business Energy. Proud to power businesses all over Ireland. Energy at work for you.